Captain Drake and rocked upon the ground Suddenly a free man making up a waste of time And heading back to New Orleans on a Greyhound bus line Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Buzzword, another lockdown episode, sorry, of the Buzzword podcast. Hope everyone is keeping well and staying safe. Um, at the moment, I'm on my own as my usual co-hosts have left me to it. So I got on the phone and have been speaking to veteran theatre director and founder of Practical Magic Theatre Company, Alan Bailey. On today's episode, we cover all directing, writing and casts that include not only some of the guests of the Buzzword podcast, but also one of the hosts. So, got plenty of time to sit back, relax and enjoy. Going down the list, and I was like, My god, you know them all. We've worked, <laughs> we've worked with practically everybody that I can think of through the East Cobride area. That's because I'm ancient, Ian. So, uh, uh um, I've managed to, to get through all the actors locally. I know it's, it's one of the things I, I can't believe I've, I've I don't think I've actually ever met you face to face. It's it's what I've, I've came to see the shows from time to time, the ones that I've, uh-huh. I've caught. Uh, but other than that, I don't think I've actually ever met you in person. It's one of those weird uh, quince- uh, circumstances uh, that this came of it because as, as I was going through the list of all the productions, I was like, yep, I saw that one. And then there was a few more I missed. <laughs> Yeah, and I was kind of. Yep, I saw that one yeah. twice. Yeah, well, well, next time, next time I'm doing one, you can you can say hello then, so uh, you'll know the oh, name. Well, yeah. But how are you doing over the lockdown period? Yeah, I mean, in terms of of my sort of own experience of it, I mean, I'm kind of one of the lucky ones. I've got uh, got a bit of garden outside, and I'm able to work from home, um, mm. and really. I, you know, my complaints are kind of pretty minor compared to how some people have it. But uh, I'll be, I'll, you know, obviously be happier when we can get out to the pub and go for a meal and whatnot. Uh, but I don't think we're too far away from that. And I'm kind of optimistic that within a month or two we'll be uh, moving towards something that's a bit more uh, normal. So I, I, I hope so anyway. Mm-hmm. I know I've... I've, I've... I literally have just went back to work today <laughs> after a three month furlough. Yeah. Uh, so today was my first day back at work. So that was quite odd for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, yeah, I work here. <laughs> Did you feel um, quite edgy about going back? Yeah, ever so slightly, yes, I did. Um, yeah. and, and also, it, it, it was just strange uh, to go to be going back. It, it was just it was an odd feeling because I, I was like that way. I was like I've been off for three months, and then to to be going back into this office. Like generally, after a, you know when you leave a place for like a month or two, you're not going back at all. And I've never had that kind of hiatus between any kind of role or job whatsoever to then be thrown back into it and go, oh yeah, I work here, and then all the stuff <laughs> came up about what I do in this job. So it, it has been a bit of an odd one. But um, I, I'm sure it'll take a couple of days and then I'll be fine. <laughs> I hope. I do, yeah, I do hope. Absolutely. But, 
Absolutely, that's right. Be back to back to normal before you know it. But uh, yeah. yeah, so it's been fine. I mean, I think in terms of 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 the theatrical side, it, you know, the lockdown has obviously put a a big full stop to to all of that, and it's 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 been odd. You know, that's I had a show that was due to take place just up at East Kilbride Arts Centre, mm-hmm. uh, which was. Uh, I think I guess a couple of months in a lockdown is due due to run in May, um, right. so okay. it put a complete full stop to that. And uh, you know, I guess again, you know, every other uh, person that does any theatre, uh, just wondering, you know, when and if we'll be able to get back into some sort of scheme where we can get a show up and running. You know. Yes. What was the play that you were working on? Um, it was really it, it, it's a, a real piece of piece of kind of nonsense in a way. Um, I went to the Fringe um, two years ago, I think, um, and I'd gone through with my wife and uh, she had gone home early because she had work to get to. And I'd hung on just to see um, a couple of plays in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I wandered into uh, a hotel on George Street that was saying, you know, come in and get get a... uh, get a pizza and a pint and see a play over your lunch. And there was a wee play on uh, called uh, Your Turn to Pay the Bill, Please, uh, which is uh, just a 50-minute sort of piece that's ideally suited for kind of lunchtime theatre or, um, you know, play pine a pint type, type sort of thing. Yes. And it's two two middle-aged couples arguing over a bill in a restaurant. It's basically as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to see it, it worked really well, and I kind of thought I know a couple of actors that would be good in that. Uh, and got it all cast. <laughs> it was ready for rehearsing, got the rights from the writer, um, who's an Edinburgh guy called Robin Mitchell, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly just to just shut down. The advantage of it is, though, that it's one of these wee things that will be easy to rehearse and, and we could throw on quite quickly if we uh, if we get a relaxation in things. Yeah. Uh, no, we, we, were, we were the same. We were due back on um, in March, uh, the mid-March, I forget the date now, uh, to put on a play for the comedy festival called The One, uh, by Vicky Jones, and literally lockdown happened, and our show was the next week. <laughs> so uh, kinda, we couldn't have picked the worst day ever to possibly try to put something on. We thought, oh, we'll rebook for September, we'll get back on, not a problem. September will be a good time. This will be done and over with by then. We, we really were optimistic on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, how, did, how did you find, have you put on a play during the comedy festival before? We ha- the, we yes we have um I did uh, waiting for Godot last year at Webster's Theatre yeah and we had a fantastic run with that we sold out and it was a really good experience and that was based off my producing partner who had previously done a a performance of Jeffrey Bernard and he had done that at Sloan's and again that was part yeah. of the comedy festival a few years ago and he had had really good success with that as well. And it was on his kind of drive initially to say, let's put something on for the festival. Overall, no, the comedy festival I, I've actually found to be quite a positive thing. And um, this year it was going to be yeah. bigger than last year. It seems to grow year in, year out. And I think I think the only problem from our point of view is when you're trying to do 
comedy theatre, your very narrow pickings on what theatres you can perform in? I've only done the comedy festival once, about a decade ago, and it was it was the same sort of story. I did one of my own plays at that that I'd written, and we did it at St Andrews in the Square, mm-hmm. down in next to Glasgow, uh, yeah. which which isn't a big theatre. Uh, we took kind of um, I, I guess kind of turn it into theatre a wee bit. We brought in a wee lighting rig and stuff like that, um, yeah. and. Uh, I think I think we must have been only about one of two or three plays that were on, yeah. um, and I, you know, I didn't. It was a play we'd done at the Edinburgh Fringe as well, and uh, I didn't hugely enjoy the experience. I think uh, again, sold okay, but I think that um, you know the comedy festival at that time at least was really kind of very much geared towards the stand-up and yes. there wasn't a kind of great kind of support for it not, nor probably should there have been but I would definitely say it's still the way stand-up takes president over everything else it's still very much the backbone of the festival but um, it's going to be a bit better I hope <laughs> for the future yeah yeah no I, I, I think Probably there would be a market for it. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Mayfest, which was the, I guess, a kind of precursor of the, of the comedy festival. But it was a kind of broader, kind of mini Edinburgh fringe that used to take place. Um, yeah. I guess back in the eighties or nineties. Um, I would have thought there's probably room for a wee bit of kind of slightly experimental theatre for a month at some point, and it, it would be nice to see it building up. I think, I think the Merchant City Festival starting to get a wee bit of that reputation that there's kind of room for uh, some new writing and stuff like that. So um, I'm kind of interested in trying that maybe in a year or two. I'm just looking up there. Mayfest was from '83 to 1997, so I had a good run. Yeah, this. yeah, that's right. Yeah, about 14 years. So I had about fourteen year run. Yeah, uh, I, I do. I do remember it vaguely um, when I was still yeah. when I was still at high school, actually. <laughs> but um, it's actually going back a wee bit because I know we're skipping through things. But um, one of my first questions for you because you've you're you set up Practical Magic Theatre Company. I did, yeah, yeah. And it was like, how did you get? What was your beginning in theatre like? A, uh, how f- I know we might be going back a wee bit, but it's kind of like, what was your genesis of getting into theatre up in yeah, the company? School shows, really. I mean, I, I'm old enough that there wasn't really any kind of formal drama in in high school, so uh, there wasn't really a kind of drama higher. There certainly wasn't the school that I was at, but there was a kind of annual school musical, as there is in so many high schools, and a couple of really great teachers that were involved in that so when I was in uh, fifth year I guess I was in the school show really enjoyed it made a lot of good pals uh, in it um, kind of enjoyed the experience of being on stage without ever really thinking I was going to sort of want to be an actor or anything like that didn't think too much more about it and then um, when I was 19 so I guess my first year at university there were a couple of pals of mine that were good singers, good actors. Um, I had decided to try and form a, an FPs club, a you know, former pupils drama club. And uh, they were wanting to stick a musical on and they asked me to direct. I didn't have any directing experience at all, but I think I was kind of maybe the most bookish 
of my pals uh, and probably got asked for that reason. So, I, you know, that was that stepped in directed a show when I was 19 um, uh, and really have done something every year since then, um, sometimes kind of several shows a year. So began with musicals um, and uh, then had a sort of idea that I wanted to do a few plays um, I guess what my mid my late 20s I'd done a sort of string of musicals in different venues for different society different local amateur societies thought I quite fancy doing you know something that's, that nobody else is, is really doing and there weren't there wasn't really a significant number of amateur companies locally at that stage that were just doing plays so um, it felt like a bit of an adventure and wound up doing a wee play by, I don't know if you know the comedian Richard Herring, uh, who does a lot of podcasting, actually. Um, but uh, he had written a play, again, that I'd seen at the Edinburgh Fringe. And uh, I wrote to him, got the rights, and we stuck that one up East Kilbride Arts Centre with a few pals of mine who have all gone on to bigger things other than me. Uh, one of them's lecturing at the Conservatoire. Another one is... Uh, it was is with uh, Scottish Opera and so on now. So the backstage team all turned out to be really a great bunch of guys as it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and from, from there, I had a kind of taste for that and the sort of freedom that your own company gives you. You know, you can put on what you want uh, without really having to answer to anybody. And, um, I quite like that, I've got to say. When did Practical Magic come along? Um, so I think that must have been gracious probably about late 90s maybe mm-hmm. just just in the millennium um and that's been sort of rumbling along in some shape or form ever since i've i've done other bits and pieces alongside that from time to time for other people but um usually had something on the boil with with my own company because it's the first um i well, we've talking about we've, we've actually spoken about this on one or two of the other episodes when I've had other people on and it crops it's one of those plays that crops up because I we love to talk about it was when I saw uh, your production of A Low Low at the 2012 yeah. uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival and that was at yeah. the Merchant Hall if I remember correctly yeah and yeah. that was my kind of first introduction to Practical Magic and I knew the TV series of course but I'd never seen the play before. And a few of my friends were in that, Stuart McDougall. One, he was playing uh, Major General Eric von Klinkerhofen and Scott right. Schracken, who was also playing Huber, Lieutenant Huber Gruber, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Lieutenant Gruber. Yeah, and they were fantastic. The whole show was like fantastic, and you had Javon Waring in it, and there was Ian Campbell, Grant Campbell. Grant was playing Renee, and it's like I've known Scott Strachan since acting one hundred and one, first day, first day in acting class, and then Stuart not not so far after. And then I went through to see. Then that was primarily my reason for going through was to support them in this, and I came out. The show was so good that when you transferred to the East Kilbride Theatre, um, I made sure to bring my mum and dad along to see it as well because I thought it was such a well-done production on every level. Not only was it your company producing it, but you were directing it. And I thought to put that on at the fringe was something else because it was just a mammoth undertaking. 
it's kind of you say that, and it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a big piece. I mean, it is quite that show. It's got it's got a really big cast, obviously for starters, and that that's always a bit of a a challenge in the amateur world is is attracting really good quality people in for a for a really big piece like that, and then obviously sort of coordinating rehearsals and so on, but. Um, it was it was a bit of an adventure at the fringe that one because we did. I mean, traditionally, I, I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist in terms of sets. I mean, I, I like big sets. I like uh, get my hands on and get involved in building stuff. Mm. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes, you, you know, maybe the amateur world is a little bit guilty of. Uh, playing everything in a minimalist way. Uh, and I think sometimes, I think particularly kind of these popular plays that I like putting on. So I've done Aloha Low, I've done Educating Rita, I've done um, Train Spotting, I've done The Steamy and so on. And, uh, I, you know, I think there is some fun to be had out of doors that properly open and shut uh, about stairways leading off stage and things like that. There's there's humour and there's there's fun to be had in that. But we we did it in the merchants hall with a ten minute get in turnaround, <laughs> and we had we had a, you know a full team of the cast horsing that whole enormously heavy set. You know, I don't know if you remember, but there was there was there was a full oh, bar. Yeah. There was. Uh, <laughs> there was doors at the back. There was tables and chairs. There was a lot of heavy stuff <laughs> getting horsed up and down the stairs in, in ten minutes, and then you know while the audience was coming in and getting ready to go. So, so that mm-hmm. was a laugh. Yeah, that was good. Um, but the costume, the costumes uh, gave rise to me appearing in the Herald Diary in that show. Um, so you know, obviously, uh, the, the, the 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 costumes um, call for quite a lot of kind of Nazi paraphernalia. Yeah. Uh, and these all arrived from the costume house down south in a big hamper. And then we were rehearsing up in uh, East Kilbride Arts Centre. Uh, and I had all the costumes and the props in my car boot, um, including a, a, a blow-up uh, doll dressed as Hitler um, <laughs> in the boot. And I, 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 had, uh, I had a puncture. Uh, so I took my car down to my local garage, which is Parks of Hamilton, uh, and uh, said, "Look, I've got a puncture there. Could you can you sort that out?" And I think I was due to go up to, I think I might have even been due to go to Edinburgh that day, and I nipped along to McDonald's to get a cup of coffee while they repaired it. And while I was in McDonald's, my mobile phone went off, um, and it was the girl from the uh, from the garage, and there was there was an awful lot of giggling going on in the background from what was obviously the mechanics who'd opened the boot and <laughs> discovered the. <laughs> the blow up Hitler popping out the boot while they were trying to get the spear. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I, don't, I don't go to parks anymore. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that one before. I've heard a few stories uh, from the likes of Grant and Stuart and Ian about what went on when they went out in their costumes out onto the Royal Exchange yeah. Square and the looks that they got. Uh, but yeah. Overall, it was, it was one of those productions that just kind of sticks in your head, and yeah. I, like you say about the this the set and the what I, I don't know how you did that because that that bar that Re, Grant worked as is Renee, I had so much going on to it technically, 
And I was like, that's a pain in the ass in a theatre that's ready for it at the best of times. But to do it in a hall that's within 10 minutes, I thought was amazing. And like I've done the fringe and I know the speed that you've got to work at. And it was just to me, that that was very impressive. One of those happy, really happy accidents that in a way, um, it, it was just a peculiarly good good cast. And when you've got a cast that, that's like that and, and funny people, you know, the, the people you're mentioning there, uh, but, but not just them, really even the supporting cast were all mm-hmm. funny actors. And I've kind of always believed in trying to work with people that are funny because I find... You know, people like Scott and so on. They can, they can, um, you know, they can turn their hand to, to a, a straight dramatic part very easily. But it's not everybody that can be can can play a comic role. You know that that is a peculiar skill, and not everybody is kind of likable on stage in in that way. So I've always tried to kind of surround myself with folk that can be can be funny and. and Probably that show is where I've had most of them together on stage, so it, it was a good one. No, it's even looking at the like the the list of the plays. The, you, like you've done one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, you, yeah. you also did misery, and I was was thought yeah, was really sure. interesting. And perfect day, uh, which you did at the, the Liz Lockheed play. Um, which I've seen yeah. done as well before, and it's like that's a cracking play, and it's just again and again and again, it's, it's just this list of really, it's every play is a wee bit different. It's something else, it's something new, and the amount that I'm seeing that you've done at the fringe as well, and it's just that there's this really strong list, and I, I noticed that one or two of the reviews that you've gone from the fringe is how the theatre company, Practical Magic, and what you're putting on is the vault. It's time and time again, it's saying the same thing. It's a small company that's punching well above its weight with the level of uh, the show that they're putting on. And it's just, it's it's an impressive list list to see. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, again, Stacey, comment about about that. But yeah, I mean, I think we've always, when when I put on plays uh, that are, are written up, I'm kind of interested in uh, populist plays, so I'm, I'm not terribly highbrow in my taste in a way. So I, I often try and pick things that have got a bit of a kind of reputation. The play's got a reputation for sort of selfish reasons in that they're more likely to sell in a way, but often the ones that sell have got something about them that, that makes them a good play. I mean, you're talking about Godot earlier, which is one that would bring, the, bring punters in. Um, but you know, similarly, something like educating Rita or something like the Steamy for All, um, I guess uh, some kind of highbrow theatre types might turn their nose up at them. Mm-hmm. You know, these plays have got something about them uh, that if you do them well, you know, they've they've got some some good drama about them, um, and uh, they're the sorts of plays that people want to see. I, I used to do. For a few years, I used to do tours around community venues, um, mostly in Lanarkshire. So taking plays out to, for example, Riggside and Crawford John uh, and all these little kind of community halls and so on, um, Eastfield out near Canvas Lang and so on. Um, and, 
you know, not not traditional theatre audiences, if I can put it that way. And you know, those were some of the, my happiest times in the theatre was was going in there, rocking up with a van and setting up a stage and some um, some lights and putting on a funny show, something like Perfect Days or uh, Educating Rita or something, and and you you know, just having that experience of. Um, sort of almost like being a travelling troop, if I can put it that way. It's, it, was, it was great fun, um, mm-hmm. and uh, something you know I would love to do again. Although I think the funding opportunities for these tours is, is not as good now. No, I I, I would agree. But it's, it's funny you say that. One of my fondest memories from acting is I did a small um, tour of a play called Green Julia by Paul Abelman. And uh-huh. this became one of my wee personal favourites. And I've, before I get too old, I'd love to do it again. But I would definitely agree it's some of the best uh, kind of acting experience I've ever had is putting on a two man show in the middle of a restaurant. Um, that that's yeah. that that will test your metal. Ab- absolutely, and I, th- I think there's a kind of camaraderie that you get when you're touring. Um, and I suppose the fringe is a bit like this for me as well. If you're all kind of staying with in a flat together and so on, but you, you get that kind of spirit of being part of the circus. Uh, yeah. where you're, you're kind of pitching your tent somewhere and uh, you're all a family for two or three weeks. And it's, uh, uh, you know, that's that's one of the things I absolutely adore about the theatre is just that kind of sense of family that you get. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would clear to say that you're very much a veteran of the fringe because... Try looking down at the list of the plays that you've done, you've been going to the Fringe like since, it, like, well, I wouldn't say early days of the Fringe, but as far as I can see, you've been going there since literally about 2003 and probably longer. What, like, over the years, do you feel that it's changed in any way or has it always kind of been at the same at its core? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it has changed. I mean, I last did the Fringe 2016, but I did it for 16 years. Um, and sometimes doing three or four shows in one year um, at the Fringe. So uh, I guess I changed as well as, as the Fringe changed, but it, it's become – when I started at the Fringe, it was still just in those days where the programme wasn't anywhere near as big as it is now. So if you're putting on a, a theatre show, you might have been one of only – you know, maybe you know, I've, got, I've got all my programmes here, but you may have been one of only forty or fifty plays that were on for that week. Yeah. Whereas now, expanded considerably and has become much more of a stand-up comedy festival. I think I think uh, theatres slightly more marginalised, and it's become much much more expensive to put it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the you know, the licensing fees, the health and safety, uh, which has rightly come in, um, the uh, hire of theatres has become a more difficult thing. You know, when I started, we basically sort of approached a hotel um, on the Royal Mail and they, they gave us a room and we just set that up as a theatre and it was ours for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we essentially were running our own venue for, several years down there and you could do that almost cost effectively you know we, we ran a kids show in the morning um, maybe a little piece of our own that was a bit more adventurous in the afternoon and usually a kind of big name 
play at night. Um, and we could just about, you know, come home without having burst the bank and had a good holiday out it. But, um, you know, latterly when I was going there, it, it, to get any sort of prime slot, you were almost guaranteed to be losing a four-figure sum um, in a week, and that, that was becoming much more difficult. And I think that's maybe a product of the the fringe becoming more of a trade show for comedians now, where you know they're coming up to try and get noticed, and the theatres have become a bit more expensive. Um, so yeah, I, but equally, there's nowhere I'd rather be in August. <laughs> in Edinburgh, even if even if I'm losing money at it, it's it's just it's the only place on the planet that I would want to be during August. If I go by, I've been sort of toying with uh, possibly experimenting and putting on some theatre in the free fringe. Um, mm-hmm. There's this tagline to the to the uh, to the fringe festival, um, as you know, the, the free fringe, which is predominantly stand-up comedians in pubs. Uh, and essentially they're passing the bucket round at the end and you just pay what you want for them. And uh, it's, you know, I think there might be some sort of market for putting on, you know, a kind of straightforward theatrical, a bit like the thing you're talking about taking up north, you know, two men in a room, uh, uh, you know, sitting having a pint and make that the play as it were. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think there might be room to do something adventurous and kind of cost-effective and sort of slightly experimental. Um, uh, and, you know, it may be – it's a bit like the lockdown. You know, you, you have to think of um, experimental ways to be artistic when you're kind of forced into it. Um, so, um, I mean, during the lockdown, I had a go at doing a kind of um, – uh, essentially one man Zoom plays uh, so we put that together um, what about six weeks ago we had a, had a shot at that and we put on four short right. monologues um, mm-hmm. and it was it, it was really interesting you know we, we got four people to write them and we deliberately said right we're having one week to write a ten minute play uh, and they were all uh, you know, monologues, so just one actor, obviously, um, just because we didn't reckon um, some, any form of kind of dialogue or multi-cast part would work over Zoom. Um, yes. And it was genuinely probably my favourite night of the lockdown. You know, the, 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 the standard stuff that came out was terrific. Um, the acting was, was, you know, uh, they all had sort of three or four days to get to grips with it and rehearse it and so on. And each of the, well, maybe accepting my own, but the, the other three pieces, they were all really, really engaging, really, really different, um, funny, poignant. Um, and it, it was some sort of cross between theatre and telly, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I just thought it was an interesting artistic experience and it kind of grew out of necessity and just boredom, I suppose. You also write your own material, and you've you've actually put, produced some of your plays in the past. One that I noted was "How to Be Dead," uh, that was written by yourself. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, that's right." I mean, 
do you enjoy putting on your own work or because that's something I'm really interested in doing or do you find that a lot harder it, it, it's harder to get an audience in <laughs> um, so uh, you know that probably speaks volumes for the standard of my work more than anything else but uh, but you know it's much easier to pull in um, you know a thousand punters to see a low a low than it is to bring in you know probably a hundred to see um you know something that you've uh, that has got no history about it um you know i think i like writing um and uh i like uh, I, you know i like the sort of process of trying to pull a play together um and it was kind of born out of necessity a little bit in the early days because when initially I was going through to the fringe, really you didn't want to be paying vast amounts of money for rights. Mm-hmm. And you also had a group of actors. You were relying on people who could take holidays for a week to come through the fringe. So you had a very specific group of people in mind. So in a way, what that drove you to was, was uh, you know, almost being forced into write something that would suit the people that you knew and that you liked and that wanted to come through. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, if I look at what I like to do, I always like to be doing something new, whether that's, you know, recently I did, did a, a, you know, a big, big production of Jesus Christ Superstar for a local company. And I, I really enjoyed that because it, it was a new experience for me, biggest thing that I've worked on. But, was you know, so taking for, that in the other. Was that for Akios, Airdrie uh, Co-Bridge no, 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 no. It was Hamilton Operatic, so it was it was last right. year's uh, show there, and it's, it's the biggest audiences I've ever worked for. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I take that in the other direction, um, you, you know, kind of what you're, exactly what you're saying, Aaron, which is the first time I wrote my own piece, it was hair-raising, um, it was interesting, it was hugely gratifying, you know, the first time you get a laugh out of something, that you've written that you thought was funny, you know, um, you know, it it, it is terrific. And, you know, I, I, I guess it's somewhat self-indulgent, you know, uh, um, (laughs) but, but but equally, I I suppose if you've got any sort of artistic bent and you've got your own theatre company and you're able to experiment, then, you know, what's it all about if you're not prepared to do that? And, you know, I even like writing in experimental ways sometimes. So I've, I've devised a couple of plays where essentially what I've done is I've brought the actors in individually and said, you know, I want you to bring six characters each to me on day one. Uh, and then I sit down with the actors over the course of almost a month of kind of seeing somebody every night for a couple of hours where we individually develop the characters and then weave them into a story. And, yeah. you know, that sort of thing is... That sort of thing's attractive to me, you know. It, it, it's interesting, kind of trying to build something out of nothing, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, how to be dead was it was exactly done in that way, where you know I had a notion that I wanted to do something uh, about death. So the, the the characters were all told, you know, that's that's all I'm going to. Or the actors were all told, that's exactly what I'm going to give you. And then they came in, each of them, with five potential characters, and we picked the strongest ones and worked up stories for them. And it was, it was, you know, 
just just an interesting way of working uh, that kind of you know, was fun and kind of flexed your artistic muscles a wee bit. You know, when you do it that way, what you have are you wind up with characters that are really strong because they've, they've been created by the actors. But probably the weakness of the process is that it's it's more difficult to develop coherent story uh, mm-hmm. because you're trying to grow that out or you're growing the story out of character rather than you know the more traditional way of doing it which is the writer sits down and and, and has the story and and then the actors kind of step into um what's in the writer's head if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so you know if I, if I were doing it again you know i i guess that's where i would hope to kind of improve it i suppose but um equally i suppose i learned a lot about you just how good actors are at creating themselves if you see, if you see what i mean um and i'm probably as a result of that much more inclined to to let the actors do their own thing rather than be too directive about it you know um which may be an odd thing for a director to say but you know when when you start having that experience of really creative actors um and working with them it's it's uh you know, kind of humbling and you think, right, actually they know a lot more about that side of things than I do. Let's give them their head, you know. So I used ideas from that in, you know, other shows that I've directed that are more traditional. You're just spending a little bit of time with the actors beforehand, just saying, right, what were you playing this? What, what, you know, how do you see it happening? So that I'm kind of clear and allowing the actors to, to not quite dictate that, but, you know, be really clear in their ideas about, what they're about beforehand and I you know I think when you do have the time to do that it, it does pay dividends you don't always have that luxury if you've got a six-week rehearsal run or whatever and you've got to get in about the blocking right away and um, mm-hmm. but you know, my experience is that you know that time spent is is rarely wasted yes um you know if you've got if you've got the right actors that, that are interested in that sort of thing Right now, with the the play that you were doing, that sadly is now being postponed, and it's kind of like a you already looking towards kind of like the future with what you could get put on maybe sometime next year. Um, is there any other big productions that you would like to do? And I definitely like. To put, I'd like to put this one uh, on a kind of. Um, I guess it's three or four years since I. Maybe three years since I put on a play, and what had happened there was I got asked by um, by Hamilton Operatic, uh, a dramatic company, to to direct their kind of big show. And again, I was saying earlier that you know something that always attracts me is doing something new, and I got the chance to to put on a show in in the big the big room at Motherwell mm-hmm. Civic, um, which is a scale I've never been able to work on before. So I, I did two of those shows back to back. Really, really enjoyed that experience. But then, so when I finished the last one, I thought, no, it's time to get back in and do, uh, you know, do something small and do a play again um, because, you know, again, it's, it's what I was saying. I like doing different things. So yeah, I'll definitely be putting this this wee play on. Uh, yeah, and and the advantage of it is that I think when lockdown eases and the theatre starts taking some bookings again, it's the sort of thing that can be put on really quickly and really easily. 
um, if I, you know, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I've got a number of kind of things that I fancy doing. There's a really funny play called Neville's Island that I fancied doing for years. It's just um, originally put on uh, as uh, with sort of five stand-up comedians playing the parts, just about a, a group of guys that get stranded on an island during an outward bound course for their work, one of these team bonding things. Yes. And it's kind of like a, an adult Lord of the Flies where everything goes wrong. So, <laughs> you know, I like that. I, I like it for a number of reasons. It's a dead funny play. I can picture, you know, some people that would be really funny in it. And again, it's one of these plays that would look nice, you know, it needs needs a bit of structure and you need to have a beach and some trees on the stage and things like that. You know, so, I, I, you know, I'm kind of interested in that. Wouldn't mind doing another bit of Shakespeare, um, and again, the advantage of that is probably you can, uh, you, you know, you, you don't need to worry about rights and so on. So again, it's the sort of thing that could be brought together relatively mm-hmm. quickly. So yeah, I think we'll wait and see what happens. And I guess everybody will be worried about what happens in the winter with COVID, you know, um, and whether uh, you know, there's any sort of spike in that shuts the theatres again. So um, I guess everybody's treading kind of warily until they know where we are with that, unfortunately. No, no, with regards to Shakespeare is always a wee uh, close to my heart and it's like the idea of another play, another Shakespeare play going out there is anything on in particular that you'd like to do because the last one I got to work on was um, A Winter's Tale, uh, yep. Exit for my bear. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would, uh, as I said to you earlier, I'm always keen on getting bums on seats, so I'd probably pick one of the one of the biggies. Um, yeah. I've only done the Scottish play in the past, uh, and I think I'd, I'd pretty much like a crack at Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I think I, I like the play, and I think you could do a right good modern Scottish vernacular uh version of that and get the right kind of youthful actors in I think it would be would be fun and I fancy I fancy Midsummer Night's Dream I've never I've never done that and it's kind of canon isn't it it's one one that you would want to do at some point in your theatrical life I guess there's so much out there that can be done and it's just like what you were saying about even it doesn't have to be in a theatre it can be anywhere it can be a in a restaurant hell you could like you you could do it in a pub uh, the free fringe and I, I love the idea of that. It's I actually wanted to do it as a as a kind of an advertising skip for when we were doing Glengarry Glen Ross. No, as you're you're kind of reminding me of uh, I you mentioned short attention span theatre. Um, I did a just a ten minute short film, which was an extract from one of the plays that I did. And we shot that in a pub locally with with local roundabouts and a dog watching us and so on. Uh, and uh, you know it, it was fun, but I think it's it's something that you know. Again, you know, I'm talking about doing different things, but you know, working with with the big amateur group uh, in Hamilton recently, they are they've got a brilliant guy um, there uh, who deals with their social media, which is something that I'm not great on. But exactly that sort of thing, you know, little clips of the play or little clips of the actors talking about the play and so on. I think it's becoming a kind of increasingly important advertising tool uh, for, you know, for plays. It's the way to get yourself 
about there and get a wee bit of buzz about it. And it's, I think we've all got to be thinking about those sorts of things as we try and encourage folk to get back into theatre and get round about other people um, in the next few months. Yep, I, I no, I agree. Um, we we were we are, we've been tinkering with that on and off for the last couple of years now, and it's always a time sensitive issue because you run out of time with a like you yeah. say a six week rehearsal schedule, and you, you know you're trying to throw everybody together and get blocking rehearsals done. You don't have time for all the extras that you wish you could do in order to promote the show. But no, I definitely think for the future, call See, six, for, sixteen for, sixteen weeks. Sixteen weeks is a luxury, and my, I do mine in six. Sixteen would be a luxury, yes. Uh, generally, we we did. I think we did Bodo in about nine and a half, but that was only with the two principal actors because we needed more time to learn those damn lines. But other than that, um, generally we're, we're six to eight weeks. 16 yeah. would be a godsend. I think that would be too much. Yeah, it, it, it'd be far too much time to spend around actors as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> bit too personal. I, I agree on that, sir. But, um, I think I've kept you long enough. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me for this. And um, again, like with the show you've done in the past, I look forward to seeing what else you're going to be doing. That's great. It's, it's been a pleasurable way to spend an hour during lockdown, Ian, so I thoroughly enjoyed it, and thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, sir, and um, I'll, hopefully I'll, I'll meet up with you soon in person. Great. I'll look forward to it. Get a pint or a coffee. Look forward to it. Thanks, great. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's it for another episode. Again, I'd just like to say thank you for Alan Bailey for coming on the show. Um, this podcast is produced using the Zencaster podcast app that you can find online that's actually running for free right now if anyone else would like to generate their own podcast as always you can find us at www.thebuzzword.org if anyone else has anything they'd like to talk about relating to theatre directing or would like just to talk on a general level about anything of interest get in touch please and hopefully i'll have my two co-hosts back sometime soon And until then, take care and see you later.